You've found the podcast where driving matters. Whether you haul, commute, or cruise, we want you to love what you drive. We're here to help you find usability and fun. From first-time buyers to jaded experts, we believe everyone is one great car away from being car-obsessed. I'm Paul. I'm Todd. And this is the Everyday Driver Car Debate. Hello, everybody. Happy Tuesday. We are back from our fourth of four road trips. That's four for four with the Mm. cars of the past. And we're back in studio with so much to talk about. Yeah, for sure. Well, thanks to everyone that came to our meetup at the Color Cartel Studios. That is Andrew and Nikki Mm -hmm. in Austin. They've become great friends. And we really appreciate them hosting us there in their studio. It was really cool to see. We even got a graffiti tour and saw Andrew's art. and It was amazing. Nikki's art, too. I saw her installations. And it was was really awesome just to be there and see everybody. And the trip was eventful, but we are back. The cars mm-hmm. made 3,000-plus miles, Yes, which is a long drive. 3,053 miles was the mileage when I pulled back into my driveway <laughs> after going down and back. And That's was, a lot. So far, you've seen the West Trip and the East Trip. The, the North Trip is about to release in a few weeks, which is really cool. And, of course, the South Trip is what we just filmed. But in the vein of that East Trip... We're doing roadside attractions and movie references and having a lot of fun along the way. Plus, we're showing off cool roads that we discover. Plus, there's an element at Coda. There's a lot going on on this trip, and I'm really excited about it. Before we dive into the topic Tuesday today, we have LA Auto Show 2022. Interesting yes, reveals. That happened while we were driving. <laughs> it did. Mm-hmm. And I must just touch on the 911 Dakar mm-hmm. rally design package. Okay. The blue and the white and the red with the gold pinstriping. And yes, but but the, but it's not this. it's not Rothmans because it's not a cigarette company and they don't want to right. promote cigarettes. So it says like Rough Road or something. Rough Road or something. Yeah, yeah. Uh-huh, yeah. The price is two hundred and twenty thousand plus dollars to get one of these, and they're only building twenty five hundred. Apparently, mm-hmm. I really want one. I don't know why I want one. I just do. I I, I need one. They're gonna sell out instantly and. It's one of the most expensive 911s being offered. It's not. It's like the third or fourth most expensive 911. <laughs> Dicing that onion just, thinly. Yeah, for sure. And I, I'm not on board, but I, I understand <laughs> that people are losing their minds about it. I'm super on board. Well, there's also the Fiat 500e, mm-hmm. which we've had before, but it's sort of relaunching in North America in 2024, inspired by Italian brands Armani, Cartel, which is furniture, mm-hmm. and Bulgari. I think it makes a lot of sense as yeah. an electric car, for sure. It does. It's nice and small. And then there's the new Toyota Prius, which has been revealed. They showed their face. The Gen 5. It's the best-looking Prius that has ever been out. I'm yes. just still not convinced, especially by the header. And the rake of the windshield seems mm. extreme. I need to sit in it. I don't mm. know how tall people will fit. But maybe they've figured that out. Maybe you just sit really low in the seats. The Prius has always had a, a massive dash because the, the well, at least since they changed it from the first gen, which was terrible, it's always had this huge rake to it. So mm-hmm. the dash is surprisingly long. I expect this one is as, as well. If you take a chance to look up the Prius, it started really unattractive. And it's gotten significantly better with every generation. But right. in this like right. third, fourth generation range that we've been in, the third and the fourth weren't a ton of changes, but there were some changes. It got acceptable looking. Okay. So once you get acceptable, then theoretically, if you get better than that, you might venture all the way into attractive. Possibly. And I think it's, you can argue that the Prius has become a good looking car. Now, what I think is interesting is if you see an actual full profile, the profile is almost identical to the prior gen. 
but all of the details and the refining of it, it's gotten more attractive again. And I think it's very intriguing that Toyota is trying to make this car more attractive with every generation. And of course, in the process, also more economical. This one's supposed to get like 50 miles of the gallon or more. Yeah, I think it's up to 57, which is insane, and up to 220 horsepower, which is great. Uh, I like sounds it. Sounds good. Yeah, I mean, yeah. But the aerodynamics certainly come into play with the rake of that huge, windshield. Huge. It's even more extreme. So back in May, when I traveled solo to the Plano headquarters mm-hmm. for the annual Toyota event, that's where I drove the Sequoia for the first time. And these were the two cars that were revealed secretly at the time mm-hmm. to a room full of journalists. We had to put our phones in Faraday bags and you know leave them outside the room. Yeah. And they escorted everybody in. And the two cars that were in there were the Crown that was mm-hmm. already released yeah. and the Prius. And they had them under covers and they really did whip the sheet off. They, they threw down, did they? Love it. They didn't have any badging. We knew they were Toyota products, but they didn't yeah, yeah. have any exterior badging as to what they were and said, what do you guys think? And the room was very hushed. Mm. And they sort of listened to people, what they thought. Clearly, it was the new Prius, yeah, and here yeah, it was. Yeah. And I'm I'm very struck by how raked that windshield is, not just from an aerodynamics sense, but for the sunlight pouring in. It's going sure. to be hot. It's yeah. like a magnifying glass. So I, I don't know. I, I'm all for very streamlined shapes and aerodynamics, mm-hmm. and you know the sexier shapes. You know that that uh, yeah, center yeah. line arc. The flatter and cooler you can make it, the better looking it is. But you have to consider the occupants who are getting fried under the magnifying glass. We'll we shall see. see. I'm very, I'm very intrigued to drive it. Which I know I just said I'm intrigued to drive a Prius, but it's one of these conversations that we've had <laughs> just over out the course mouth. of the podcast. And that is a minivan. If you need to do what a minivan does, nothing does it better than a minivan. Yeah. If you need to do what a Prius does, nothing does it better than a Prius. Now, and even now, more so. yeah. The Prius may be an attractive car on top of being really good at being the Prius. If it's okay, I'm going to go way out on a limb here that's very shaky and I feel like it's going to break. If it's actually decent to drive, that <laughs> will be quite a trifecta of more attractive, doing Prius things, and good to drive. I'm not holding out hope for that. I'm expecting it still drives like a Prius, which is not engaging, but perfect for commuting and getting gas mileage. Sure. So if it sure. does that and still looks halfway decent, this may be a real win for them. I think it has real potential. You notice this, the surfaces are very simpler. They're a lot yes, simpler. Absolutely. The for the better. It's interesting. Mm-hmm. There's also the Genesis X convertible concept. Yes. I believe they have out-beautifuled Mercedes-Benz. This is a car Mercedes doesn't make anymore. Stunning. Yes. Gorgeous. Mm-hmm. Yes. The fact that they're really going after a sense of classiness and style is currently reflected in their cars and yeah, SUVs. Yeah. But the direction that they're showing is absolutely spectacular. Hats off to Genesis. Agreed. And then there's the VinFast brand. Many of you have written to us asking which electric car manufacturers should be taken seriously, which should be ignored and sort of flash in the pan. They're a startup and they're not sure what they're doing. Well, VinFast is a Vietnamese brand established in 2017. Showrooms are already located in California. And quoting from a Wall Street Journal article written by Sean McLean, buyers pay one price for the vehicle and then they lease the battery for a monthly fee. Hmm. The company offers two battery subscription plans costing anywhere from $35 to $160 a month, depending on how much you want to drive, the model purchase, and the type of battery. But that fee includes the maintenance and replacement when the charging capacity drops below 70% of its original capacity. That's interesting, isn't it? It's an Hmm. entirely new take, a different take on 
what everybody's thinking about batteries in electric cars. So after 70%, if it won't get to at least 70% of its original capacity, Mm -hmm. they'll swap it out because you're leasing it. And they said this leasing model has driven the price of their cars down to begin with and then eliminates risks for the consumer because service covers all repairs, maintenance, and replacement costs, including the swapping out of the battery for a newer one. But beyond that, Mm -hmm. their vehicles, even though they're SUVs, they do have a style to them, a unique style that you cannot place unless you know the VinFast brand and VinFast Fair. look. Fair. They're in North America now. Mm. So I'm intrigued. And you're right. It one, doesn't certainly. look derivative of anybody else. It very much it really looks doesn't. like their style. It almost yeah. looks like it would be like a Renault or a Peugeot. It sure. almost feels like that because yeah. it feels just quirky enough to be off of the normal stuff we get here. And yet it's this VinFast stuff. I'm looking at photos right now. And of course they have a logo that you've never seen on anything else. Yeah. Because why would you? I, VinFast is a weird name, but okay. All right. They're already pretty big in Vietnam mm-hmm. already as a, as a company providing other kinds of goods and services. So here's the cars and they're, I wonder if it proves successful first of all, and if it mm-hmm. does prove successful, then other manufacturers going, what are you guys doing over here? Maybe mm-hmm. we should try that. When you want to wash your car but you're short on time, Griot's has two new ideas for fast and easy washing in your garage or driveway without even having to rinse. Try the rinseless wash and wax kit or the waterless PFM spray-on car wash kit from Griot's Garage. They're both ideal if the weather has gotten colder outside or you're an apartment dweller or if you live in an area where hose and bucket washing is restricted or inconvenient. You can get a perfect wash indoors or out in a quarter of the time it takes to wash a car normally. These kits are a no-hassle way to keep your car looking really sharp Remember, Griot's Garage products are 100% guaranteed, and all their liquid products are made right here in the USA. When you're ordering at griotsgarage.com, use the code EDRIVER for 15% off liquids and 10% off everything else on your order just for our audience. That's G-R-I-O-T-S. Enjoy the finest quality car care products you can buy at griotsgarage.com. We have an interesting topic Tuesday, plus a car debate, plus your questions. There's a lot going on in this in this podcast. I should also note, we will not be with you on Friday. Since Thursday is Thanksgiving here in the U.S., and many of you will have the day off on Friday, we're going to take the day off for Thursday, Friday as well, which means we will not have another podcast this week. This is our only podcast this calendar week. We'll be back next week with normal programming, but I want to let you know that. And we'll dive into, do badges even matter? <laughs> Pat M. writes to us asking this question. Has thought about this for way too long recently after watching our Audi Q3 piece. Mm -hmm. And I was comparing it to a Golf, essentially an oversized Golf. If you haven't seen that, that's on our test drive. And it's still an Audi product. I liked a lot of things, including the style. There's currently an e-tron GT with us uh, from the press fleet. Yes, We have praised that car. It's Mm -hmm. excellent to drive. But that doesn't cover every product from... Audi or certainly the gamut from, you know, any kind of car manufacturers, but it it does show you the difference between all of their development and dollars into the e-tron GT. Mm, mm, And then here's this Q3 out there by itself. And that's what Pat is asking about is essentially if the Q3 is really just a Taos, why aren't the Taos and its competitors fair game to this? And he's wondering about the base a and the base Q models, which this is, and trying to compare these two and, and sort of relegate them against everything else the car manufacturers are doing from their base model all the way up to the, the very top model that that badge, that manufacturer offers. He says the A3 and the Q, Q3, the people's cars in elite's clothing. 
He writes, you look at the options and the trims, and there's a strong argument that these models don't rise above mm. premium, even though the badge says it does. Mm-hmm. There's no quilted leather, no ornate metalwork, no real wood trim, no inline six for smooth power, no air suspension. He says the styling is clean, the materials are good quality, and he likes the look at them of them, but they're kind of top trim economy cars. Yes. He even mentions the top trim Subaru Legacy is not an unpleasant place to be. And those luxurious features are absent from the A3. Mm. So as a result, it's more appropriate as an executive sedan, even fully equipped, rather than a miniaturized version of an A7. He's talking about the A3. Mm-hmm. And meanwhile, entry-level IS or A-class sedans either have the f- these features for extra options or tech to clearly denote themselves as the starting point of luxury. <laughs> and then he says, let's not... You know, let's talk about that's too much money for blank kind of car. This has happened to Kia and Hyundai over the years. Yeah. Well, yeah. it's expensive for a Kia because of the perception you already have in your mind. Yes. Rather yes. than driving it for what it is mm-hmm. and thinking, kind of doesn't matter the badge on the hood. That's an excellent car and it feels like worth my $40,000 mm-hmm. or whatever that is. Or conversely, we drive some car with a big elite badge on the front and we go, yeah, but there's a better car over there without mm-hmm. an elite badge. Pat asks if he's missing something so amazing about the Q3 or other low-end models from premium brands that make it inappropriate to expand their comparison. Does, do the materials and designs of these type of cars really elevate them above, above lesser brands to a degree that separation is necessary? He writes, obviously, the manufacturers and their marketing teams themselves are responsible for such the positioning, but are car enthusiasts and us, the automotive media, mm-hmm. responsible for perpetuating it? And can it be changed or should it be changed? Are all of these above observations indicative of a crime against humanity or the automotive mm-hmm. kingdom? Or is it best to just hope there's enough people with an open mind to make judgment on what each car says and not what the badge tells them? Well, yes. And he's also touching on another fascinating thing here. And that is every manufacturer, when they release a car, if you look in the press materials or elsewhere, they tell you what they think it competes with, or to put it another way, what they want you to believe it competes with. And we here at Everyday Driver, because we throw out badges or we try to, often put things in odd comparisons. And it reminds me when we had a Mercedes CLA and we put it with the Mazda 3. So we right. had a conversation about the fact that Mazda was reaching up and Mercedes was reaching down. Yeah, and they yeah. kind of met in the middle. Mazda really likes a comparison like that. Mercedes really does not. Exactly to his point, Mercedes, because it's Mercedes, shouldn't you only compare that to the A3 and shouldn't you only compare it to the one or the two series BMW? Well, you can, of course, certainly. We as beings, we as people, we don't shop like we're told. Mm -hmm. One of the examples I can always think of is, and this was years ago, but one of the things I always thought was really funny is that people shopping a Wrangler when they fill out forms about other cars they were considering, you know what's always on that form? The Miata. (laughs) <laughs> now, yeah, uh, yeah. people building Wranglers never thought the Miata was competition. But why is it competition? Because I'm looking for a fun daily convertible. Right? I yeah. could get a Miata or I could get a Wrangler. They're both kind of bang around fun. I could take them both to the beach. You see how we as humans connected them. Mm-hmm. But the marketing department would have never done that. <laughs> totally. So totally. one of the reasons we get into conversations about actual comparisons and we loved that Mazda versus Mercedes piece because it was Mazda reaching up and Mercedes reaching down and there's supposed to be a separation but Lexus is the one that broke it okay Lexus is the brand that said it doesn't well Lexus with the LS 
and Acura with the NSX are the two that really perforated these two barriers, I feel like, and said the brand doesn't denote the better car. Because mm-hmm. the LS, when it mm-hmm. came out, was better than the S-Class, and the NSX, when it came out, was better than Ferrari. And that's mixed up the whole soup sum. And we as humans should always shop for best car, best price, best performance. Sure. The problem is sure. that automotive journalists are not incentivized to mix and match. Most of the time, if you read a review, it will be the car is compared to the things that the manufacturer thinks it should be compared with. Because... The magazine or the journalist outlet would like to get another car from that manufacturer. (laughs) We don't think about this as much, but it is a reality. And so sometimes we defy it, but it is a thing that exists. We've had a number of manufacturers deny us when we approach them with ideas. Yes, yes. I won't mention some other names, but we wanted to do a comparison of SUVs. And we approached one manufacturer that said, those don't compare as badge as they don't compare, but in size mm-hmm. and fully loaded versus base over here and pretty much how they drive and the amount of power that it makes and the configuration, five-seat, all-wheel mm-hmm. drive, mm-hmm. turbocharged engine, they do compare. It's just in that company's mind, nobody's shopping these. Nobody's cross-shopping these. But in the minds of Todd and I, yeah. we are cross-shopping yeah. them. That's happened with uh, also the BMW 4 Series and the Mustang Mach 1. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. They're nearly identical. Yes, as far as size and mm-hmm. power. That's why we did that and piece. Weight, yeah, and how they drive. Except one's forty thousand extra dollars. Is it <laughs> worth it? But on the other hand, maybe it is. Yeah, I love that Mer- Mercedes Mazda comparison. You wouldn't believe the specs, the wheelbase, yes. the track, yes, the height of the car, the width of the cars. That's why we did it. They're almost identical, but. Mm-hmm. Nobody cross shops. If you're shopping Mazda, you're not thinking Mercedes-Benz and vice versa. Well, here's the thing. I think if you're shopping Mazda, you might be thinking Mercedes, but you're never shopping Mercedes thinking Mazda. Exactly. That's the crazy right, thing. And right. the manufacturer, the upper-level manufacturer, doesn't ever want to be compared mm-hmm. to the lower. Mm-hmm. But I've brought this up before. The, the thing for me about wildly expensive luxury cars is I always find myself wondering where the money went. Because if you are sitting at the light in a just bringing one up, a $40,000 loaded Camry. Mm -hmm. You have almost all of the creature comforts of the person sitting beside you in a loaded S-Class. Now, the materials aren't quite as nice, Mm -hmm. but are you the average person aware? Are you? Because if your your seat is massaging you and everything is covered in leather and you have Apple CarPlay and you're at the perfect temperature and and the seat has programming so that when your significant other gets in, it resets for them, you have enough power to leave the light. You're sitting in traffic. Is the person in the Mercedes that much more comfortable than you are? And I'm not picking on Mercedes. Go with the 7 Series. Go with the, the big 8 Series mm-hmm. from Audi. Go with the Rolls-Royce, for example. Now, there's a place where it makes a difference. If you get in the Rolls-Royce, the instant you sit down, everything feels like it's on another level. Mm-hmm. The way the buttons compress, the actual feel of the materials, you, I don't care who you are, you can instantly tell. But you're almost 10 times more expensive than the Camry. You would hope you could tell. It's the two or three times more expensive. Once you get to a certain level of comfort, do you notice? You're right. Pat, I think the answer to your question is that manufacturers think they're leaving money on the table if they don't offer those lower trim levels and lesser models. And they can't entice people to the brand. 
that's really what it's for. It's almost like a loss leader kind of product mm. at your favorite home refurbishment store. Okay. Okay. You pick up a faucet and it seems like what a deal. They can't sell enough faucets to make a profit, but you know what? You're already kind of into that brand. There's other products from that company. Mm, mm. I would love to say that my favorite brand, Porsche doesn't do that, but I am wrong. Mm. We wouldn't recommend buying the four cylinder Macan. Yeah, we don't. That's true. That's why, a very good point. Yeah. Why do they even offer this? Porsche is a premium brand. Why are they? I've wanted them to build some sort of base 718, base 550, smaller sure. sports car. But other car companies could do that very thing, some kind of mid-engine, cool, mm-hmm. fun mm-hmm. thing, and yep. bring the price down. Yep. It doesn't have to be Porsche. And to have a Porsche badge on it doesn't really make it any better. I mean, maybe the engineering or the dynamics might be, but then that drives up your price for that yeah, car. Yeah, yeah. In the case of Audi and Volkswagen, why does Audi need to build that A3 and the Q3 to bring people to the brand, as you mm-hmm, said, Todd? Mm-hmm. It, it's a entire mindset from cradle to grave. Yes. From when the yes. time you start driving, you like the style of Audis, you're a, a working professional by your mid to late 20s, early 30s, and you can afford a Q3. Mm-hmm. Brings you to the brand. Mm-hmm. Man, have you seen that R8 sitting in the showroom though? Yeah. I can't wait till I can afford one of those. And then throughout your career, you move up. That's the reason for the three and the five and the seven series. Mm-hmm. And Mercedes does the same thing. That was always the thinking for decades, but that has been completely upended by brands like Genesis. Have you noticed? They mm. don't offer a low end anything. Fair, fair. Okay. If you want something that's less expensive and still a decent sedan, May I direct you to our Kia and Hyundai showrooms? That's a good point. But as yeah. a brand, I feel like you're getting your money's worth with Genesis. Mm, mm. Every car we drive is sort of like, yeah, I could, I can see why they're charging this amount. Mm-hmm. It's not exorbitant. It's expensive. But yeah, yeah. I feel like I'm getting my money's worth here. Well, this was the Chevy Buick Cadillac progression forever. Yes. You start in Chevys, and then you get your, your middle age, and you get into Buicks, because that's the step up. And then you get some money under your belt, and now you can get the Cadillac version. I mean, yes. this has been around forever. Many car companies try it. Cadillac has tried this. Cimarron, anybody? Katerra? Yes. Oh, gosh, Can we talk yes. about those two? Let's not talk about those two. Why don't brands just make the cars that people associate them with? Mm. We wouldn't ever have things like GR from Toyota. Pat, you mentioned GR and the, the Corolla, forty, almost $50,000 Corolla. Yes. If you look at it purely through the, that lens, that doesn't seem like a good value. Mm-hmm. On the other hand, the interior is... Not why you're buying the car. Man, are you buying some great, robust, very fast, good-to-drive mechanicals. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So that will always exist. But a $50,000 Corolla, it's not trying to be some luxurified thing and suck you in. No, it's offering quite a bit for your money. Mm -hmm. It's a little on the high end, certainly. But it kind of depends on the car. Why does Audi need to offer that A3 and the Q3? May we direct you to Volkswagen or... You know, the brand that actually owns us, may we direct you over there? And, and a brand that has like that six or seven mid-grade five-seat SUVs, roughly the size on either side of the Q3, all somehow inexplicably beginning with the letter T. They have so yes. many. Yes. It's unbelievable. But this is the, this is the other scourge. Why the didn't work. Oh, my gosh. This is the other scourge of the SUV, though. Because the five-seat CUV SUV is the one car that everybody can make and somehow still sell. Mm -hmm. And they're almost always profit-making cars. 
And so every band, look across the pantheon of all car makers right now and notice how many, every one of them sells of a five-seat SUV. Because if they find a micro niche of a slightly smaller five-seat SUV, well, but our competitor offers that, so we should too. Because that is the one market segment that everybody seems to be making money right now. You notice they're not fighting each other to make a sports car. Mm-hmm. And they're yeah. also not fighting each other to make executive sedans. Yeah. yeah. You make an executive sedan because you have a tradition of making an executive sedan. Otherwise, you don't bother. You yeah. Know? yeah. And so it's five-seat SUVs. We can split <laughs> 85 million ways and apparently sell them all. Literally, when we were in Germany this last time, we heard three or four new five-seat SUV T-words we'd never heard before. I'm sorry. What, what's that word? And they were yeah. another Volkswagen five-seat SUV, probably in black. I suppose. Look at the own, your, the brands in your life that you have, Pat. Mm-hmm. Since I left the tech industry, my wardrobe has changed. I needed to buy nice clothing because I was yeah, in front yeah, of yeah. customers and needed to pre- look nice to present. So I really preferred Hugo Boss clothing. I like the look. I like, you know, it's sort of mid-range. It's good stuff. Sure. But all my clothing now is blip shift t-shirts and pants from Costco. <laughs> I am set for life, man. Because we're going to sit in a car or stand great. in front of a car and drive it. That's what we need it for. Costco yeah. pants are the best. <laughs> They're $17.99 and they are the best That pants. is very funny. I don't need to spend more money on pants now. But what about my shoes? I do like... You are a shoe Solomon guy. Solomon shoes. You Those are a are, shoe you know, guy. I like the fit. They're nice outdoor shoes or a jacket or ski gear or something like that. Now, I feel like I'm getting my money's worth mm-hmm. when I spend $400 on a ski jacket. But you don't have to do that every so often. People, I'll just say people who like a Louis Vuitton or a coach, purse, wallet, mm-hmm. bag of sure. some sort because you recognize the brand. And what do people do? Oh, Oh, it suggests a certain mm-hmm. look, a certain air about you, a certain level of here's where you land. Oh, okay. I, it's so fun to not subscribe to that, especially in the world of cars. But ultimately, cars are the the way of projecting that. Yes. The most yes. Uh, e- easily easy way of projecting that sort of here's what I am willing to spend my money on and what matters to me most. There's a, there's a status think, symbol projection because of the car you pulled up. Yes, in. there it is. is for so many people. So manufacturers are merely capitalizing on human beings and their desire to do that. Mm. That's all that's going on. And they're not wrong for doing that. If, if we just added logic to the entire conversation, well, of course, Audi can just start with the A6. We don't really need anything below the A6. Well, you're touching on two sides at once. On one level, there is no reason to buy an A3 necessarily over some Volkswagen equivalent 5. There's no reason at all. And there is no reason to not compare the luxury brand to a car that is surprising from a non-luxury brand. We try really hard to throw badges out here, and so there's no reason to not compare them because this is the way people actually shop in spite of what the, the marketing might want. However, there absolutely is a, a personal connection mm-hmm. to what it gives off, and you may not want to pull up in a Volkswagen. You may feel much better in your job life, your dating life, your whatever, pulling up in an Audi product you feel like you're part of the club or projecting properly for your setting in a way that a Volkswagen equivalent product will not work. And we've had people write this podcast, I have this kind of job, so these brands are out. 
mm-hmm. both sides. Yeah, I can't right. get a brand that is brand that is that nice because I have this job and I can't project that level of wealth. But yes. I could go buy a wildly expensive Ford pickup and nobody will ask a question. We've had <laughs> those true. podcasts. That's true. We've had the flip side. I have a high-end job, and while I want to buy a Fiesta ST, it will not work. I want to buy a GR Corolla, that brand will be looked down on. I have to go buy something, and they will give us brands. Or you grew up, and your family only had terrible experience with brand X. The <laughs> yes. chances of you buying that brand are almost nothing. Yeah. But ultimately, yeah. good car, good price, good performance. Hopefully, decent reliability as well. That's really all that should matter. But man, the brands still seem to matter to us, don't they? Your car's dashboard is on the front line in the battle against the sun, and it can really deteriorate over time due to UV damage. A custom Covercraft dash mat protects your dash and keeps it looking new, as well as complementing your interior. These dash mats are available in a wide variety of fabric styles and colors. You can even customize with embroidery or logo. You could put an Everyday Driver logo on it if you wanted. You can make it completely unique to you and your car. Can we get an 86 with the Everyday Driver logo in the corner, maybe intertwine them? you got to work on that, Paul. When you're shopping at Covercraft.com, just remember, use the code EVERYDAY22 to get a 10% discount and it ships for free. Follow the link from our sponsors page at EverydayDriver.com. Or navigate directly to Covercraft.com for high-quality covers, sunscreens, and dash mats to keep your car protected and looking its best. Derek D. in Detroit, Michigan, asks if a car can haul and tow and be fun. Can you have your cake and haul it too, he says. Like it. That's a good, good title. Excellent. Well, Derek is a fairly new listener to the podcast. Derek, welcome. Thanks for your email. Really appreciate it. He's been a Cor- Corvette guy for several years. Very recently sold his C5 Z06. And then bought a C6 Z06 Carbon Edition to replace it. That's a nice upgrade, though. That's really good, yeah. He owned the C5 for about six years, really loved everything about it, got him into modding and all the common Corvette upgrades like mild cam and intake and exhaust. He road-tripped it. He took it to autocrosses, track days, to the drag strip. Love it. What a great all-purpose sports car. You're right. He upgraded simply because he wanted to try something newer. We're hanging on to the characteristics that he loved in the C5. Mm Mm-hmm. His daily for the past five years has been a Cadillac ATS sedan with a two-liter turbo and all-wheel drive. He also says it's been a great car. All-wheel drive, it tackles the Michigan snow, he says. Mm -hmm. He likes it. But it's time that he gets something with more cargo capacity. Okay. All right. One thing he learned while taking the Corvette to all the different events is there a different best tire. There is a different best tire for everything. Yes. Ding, ding, ding. Thank you, Derek. So it's led him to have three sets of wheels for the Corvette, two for the ATS that he needs to shuffle around at the tire shop a few times a year and says this has been, he's fallen into this and really discovered the right thing, the right Mm -hmm. tires for Mm -hmm. his cars. But now he has dropped a deposit on a Rivian R1T. Now that is the Rivian pickup. The R1S is their suburban SUV fighter. The R1T is their pickup that if you're here in Park City, I think they're passing them out. You're starting to see a lot of them various places. It's when you arrive at the Park City sign in town, there's somebody with a clipboard, I think. There's there's a Rivian dispenser there, I'm pretty sure. And for for some reason, we're not on the list, but they're everywhere here. (laughs) Now, we have not driven one at this point, Derek. He's got an estimated delivery date within the next two months, which is very soon. Very cool. So this is number one on his list at the moment. It's going to have massive acceleration that will rival his Corvette, probably out-accelerate your Corvette. Probably true, yes. He says it can handle any cargo needs he will ever have, the ability to haul wheels and building materials. I don't know why 4 by 8 sheets of plywood are still the standard, but I guess it is. It is is the standard, though, yes. Mm -hmm. 
He's thought about the ability to tow his Corvette would open up opportunities to take it to events that are further away. The Rivian can handle that too. 10,000 pounds of towing capacity. And he says the range, even while towing on the R1T, suits his needs well enough. He doesn't really have any range anxiety about it. I want to come back to the whole towing the vet thing. We'll get there in a minute. Okay. Derek also says there aren't any gasoline-powered trucks that have caught his interest. The half-ton trucks are too big and too big for his garage. He says the Ranger and the Tacoma still seem too trucky and unfun to drive without the on-road sport variants. But he'd be willing to give up a truck bed for a sporty SUV because he could still haul his wheels and mm-hmm. building sure, materials. Yeah. And he's looked at, oh, he's ridden in an Explorer Sport that might be sporty enough. He might be able to tune the EcoBoost engine, maybe. And he's also considered a Cayenne GTS okay. or an X5M because he likes the styling, reliability, and fuel mileage starts to become a concern, he says. But maybe a Cayenne plug-in hybrid might be interesting so he could commute in electric mode and still have the gas engine. He checked out the Lexus GX470 at the Detroit Auto Show and the interior was outstanding, mm-hmm. but he doesn't think the experience would be sporty. It wouldn't be. It, it wouldn't be. be. It actually would surprise you off-road, actually. Right, right. But it's not sporty. So what is Derek missing? He wants to find something that can haul like a truck and handle like a sports sedan. Mm-hmm. He does have interest in trying an electric option to save on fuel, but he doesn't mind driving a larger vehicle on a daily basis. He also mentions sporty wagons. He acknowledges the BMW 3 Series wagons. He says none of them can tow a car trailer, though. Should he get a wagon, rent a truck for the few times a year that he needs one? He's a single guy, and his only dependent is his dog, Oscar. So he's his own minister of finance, and Oscar would be happy with anything that gets him to the dog park. That is the most fantastic thing in a dog's (laughs) life. Would you like to go? They love that word. (laughs) You pick up a collar and you say the word go and their claw their way out of the house. It's the it's their favorite thing. We're going to ride in that. Sure. I'll ride in that. That's fine. Exactly. That, that's a death trap, but I'll go. And dogs love trucks, uh-huh. Derek. Well, Derek considers the Rivian to be the top of his budget at $75,000 because he got early reservation pricing. Wow. But he would be happily happy to spend less and is willing to buy used. So what can he do? Derek, let me start here. I really like the Rivian idea. We've been in them. We haven't driven one. We've been in them. They're very cool. They're everywhere around town here. Here's where I'm confused. The Corvette, the the thing the Corvette does better than almost any performance car sold is saw miles. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. The Corvette has a surprisingly big hatch. In fact, the C6 that you have now has pretty much the largest hatch capacity of any Corvette ever. It has a nice size hatch. It's good for long distance. It's great for cross-country trips. And it's one of those cars, like the 911, you can drive it to the racetrack, race it, drive it home. Why are you considering towing the Corvette? It's a good question. Just drive the Corvette to said event and drive it home. Yeah. Uh, And also, the one thing that makes an electric truck show its, its issues is towing with it. That's the number one True. thing that yeah. brings down its capability and its charge yeah. time. You're talking about you think the Rivian would help you go long distances towing the Corvette. That's the one thing I actually think it won't do well. You could get there. Certainly, obviously, you can charge it. You can set up your world, and you could do a nice long-distance trip. But I would suspect that if you drove your Corvette a long distance to a track day, it would take you half the time it would to tow it with the Rivian. 
I'm struggling with the Rivian as a tow vehicle for your car that you could drive to the event. That's my big struggle. I do like the Rivian. I think you would thoroughly enjoy it. Paul said it earlier. It would probably out-accelerate your Corvette. It is a fantastic <laughs> size of pickup. They look, in, in images, they look pretty big. They're not very big. They are like Nissan Frontier-sized or Tacoma-sized, but they look huge. You sit them next to a TRX or even an F-150, and you go, that's not a very big truck. <laughs> right, it's a very right. usable truck. So that's interesting as well. So I don't think, uh, I don't think you'd have a problem with that. I, I'm going to, real quick, I think your Cayenne is a fascinating all-arounder choice. It doesn't sound to me like you need a pickup. A Cayenne, even the hybrid Cayenne, would tow your vet much further in less time than your Rivian would. It would have surprisingly good dynamics, and yes, you could get a little bit of all-electric out of it. I don't have a problem with the X5M, but the <clears throat> Cayenne at least has the e-hybrid option. So I think a Cayenne is a better all-arounder with tow capacity. It also has the covered back. Of course, you couldn't do 4 by 8 sheets of plywood, but it doesn't sound like you're a guy in construction. So I think all of your wheels and tires, I do it with our Cayenne. It'd be fine. I think that is a, a better choice for your needs, but I have thought of a wild card I can come back to in a minute. Oh, Okay. Well, Derek, thanks for the email. I really appreciate it. I am intrigued by your Rivian deposit, and I think you should get it. Okay. If there's one thing that I learned on our recent road trip is that all the trucks, electric or gas, can outdo anything sports cars can do. Mm. They just can. We got passed by multiple F-250s and 350s and Ram Dooleys and every kind of truck towing big trailers. In the left lane, mm-hmm. up a hill, mm-hmm. past, at high speed. This is what they do in West Texas, folks. What? They drive <laughs> big pickups hauling trailers at 90 plus. How are these trucks this powerful? They are. Mm-hmm. And they can hang with us in corners. You think, I got them in the corners. No, you don't. Not anymore. Mm-hmm. Especially even smaller trucks like the Rivian. I'll bet you that Rivian can out-accelerate your Corvette and probably scare it in corners, if not give it a Probably healthy, get close. You're not going to leave it behind. The only reason you will is driver skill, not car performance. Mm, interesting point. The Rivian will be able to do everything your Corvette can do and so much better in every category. Mm. You name it, it will win. But the one place it doesn't is fun. Mm. None of those trucks and the guys roaring past us. I mean... It's like, what do you have, 900 million horsepower in that truck? How, how are you passing me with a loaded down full trailer? The, I don't understand. I, I, have to, I have to pause us here and, and set the scene because we talk about this on the road trip, and it's only a small part of the road trip, but this was West Texas, the West Texas oil fields, where the roads are really flat. You can see forever. There's an oil derrick over there and a windmill over here. <laughs> yeah. And we, because we came out of New Mexico and we've been driving for a long time, cruise control set like 88 or so, which, by the way, if you have cruise control, is speeding. <laughs> right. Okay. Right. I'm speeding <laughs> right. at 88. Okay. It's, yeah. it's, it's posted somewhere between 75 and 80, depending on the road we're on. It was frequent for us to get past like 88 was 50. By yeah. 250s and duallys and guys hauling like oil equipment, like stuff I, I'm not sure how well tied down that was, but that will destroy <laughs> yeah. my car if it comes off. Yes. Blowing by us to the point that we were just laughing about it on the radio. We're like, we're going quickly. But apparently, <laughs> it. they have places to be. The guys that weren't towing anything were passing the trucks that were towing, towing stuff yes. because they were even faster. Yes, they were. Doesn't matter the power plant. Mm-hmm. Doesn't matter the truck. They're all huge. 
and they're they got work to do and they they do great in West Texas. They do great. But then I think in the car that you're still having fun, that's where sports cars will still win mm-hmm. because fun electrics, electric trucks, electric SUVs from here on out will do everything sports cars can do, including keep up with you through a sharp corner. But you're not having fun doing it. The sports cars are where that will always shine. The, the always small stuff has engagement. I hang my hat on that. Mm. Fine. And, and we're just laughing. Like, go be fast. Mm-hmm. Go tow mm-hmm. a house and pass me while you're doing it up a hill while you, it was nuts. <laughs> you're looking at your phone, drinking coffee. Have a good time. Yeah. We're still having more fun, and I'm still slower, even though I can't believe I'm slower. Yeah, it was, it was really crazy. So there are plenty of sports cars out there that are still faster and still quicker through corners, but you got to pay a lot of money for those cars. So once you get the Rivian, I, I think you're so jazzed about it. I don't think you should cancel the order. Okay. You know you can offload it. You can get rid of it whenever that is you true. want. He could get it. He could have it less than six months and easily turn around and get rid of it. Sell it Absolutely. what you paid for Especially it. Especially for seven. Since he's getting it for 75, yeah. the ability to turn that car around, you probably make money. I hate to say it, but it's true. You could, or even if you don't, you can get your money back out of it. Mm-hmm. You're looking forward to this experience, clearly. I want you to have it. Because you might either completely embrace and say, yep, this wins, Corvette, it's getting sold. Or mm-hmm. you know, maybe both can coexist. I'd love sure. it if they could both coexist. Yeah, yeah. And it sounds like they can. But it's almost, it, I don't want to take the track days away from you because it does sound like you're getting more into them. But the Corvettes that you're buying, the C5 and C6s, those will always be available for sale. True, yeah. yeah. I almost, the only way to... Get something completely different, which I think you want, I think, is to go absurd. Oh, okay. What's the complete opposite of a Rivian? A 60s Mini Cooper? Uh, That is the opposite. That could almost fit in the bed of a Rivian. Yeah, I like it. Think Spectrum of Sacrifice when you're shopping Mm, now. Now that you can afford it, and now that you're thinking about car experiences, you've got the tires for the Corvette. You've had track experiences. Maybe you want to continue to do that. Mm -hmm. Drive your Corvette to the track, to Todd's point. But what if you had the Rivian and you had an AutoZam? Oh, there you go. What if you had the Rivian and a Suzuki Cappuccino? Very nice. Because the two experiences, that Cappuccino is far slower. It can't do any of the things the Rivian can do. But you're cackling it's, at the absurdity. Crazy yes, you're right. And so right. it has its place mm. in your life mm. for a different mood, for a different driving thing that you want to do. And therefore, justifiable to have both. Sotomoto has listings for all of these. Get some tiny little thing. Miatas are too big. They're too big and too heavy for what I'm looking for you. Miatas are they're too not, big. You heard it here. They're there not nearly quirky enough. They're not absurd enough. And they're not different enough. It needs to be the opposite far end of that spectrum to go get something that just, you know what? It jazzes me as much as the Rivian does in a completely different way. I like that. That's good. Way out there. What does that look like to you? Maybe it is some sort of classic. At least allow yourself to shop mm. and dream and think about what if. You might end up getting the Rivian and keeping the Corvette, and that's an awesome garage. It is a very cool garage, yes. The Corvette still does different things than the Rivian because you're having such a great time on track. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And the noise. Yes, for sure. But what if you just thought about completely wiped your slate clean Rivian's coming mm-hmm. it's going to be a brand new experience and you're going to love it for all the tech and the absurdity and the yeah, acceleration yeah. and the I can't believe this truck does these things mm-hmm. and then this little car in my garage this little thing that hides behind the bikes bicycles 
<laughs> it's this tiny little cheap thing that just brings me all kinds of pleasure and fun, and I love having it. And it's the opposite of Rivian. It's the opposite of EVs. I love it. Allow yourself to dream and think about those. I don't know what that would be. I, I always bring up Sotomoto or some sort yeah, of yeah, yeah. imported Japanese car. It's just weird and quirky or fun or different turbocharged. You know, maybe you sell the Corvette and keep in the same price range. I was trying to find cheaper for you. Allow yourself to dream a little bit and get that opposite, the spectrum of sacrifice. What is that opposite of the Rivian for you? That's very cool. I have one wild card I want to throw out real quick. I think Paul's gone a fantastic place. But one thing you did mention here, Derek, is you said, kind of intrigued by a wagon. And then you walked away from wagons. You know, you entertained the Cayenne. What about a Panamera hybrid? Because then you get the hybrid stuff you're looking for, you get the performance you're looking for, you get the usability of a wagon, and you can still have a really good option for less than 75 grand, less than the Rivian. I think that's the wagon that solves the problem. That's cool. But it's wild card because you kind of, you're leaning Corvettes or SUVs. I mean, sorry, uh, you're leaning toward uh, SUVs or the Rivian pickup. 1984 Renault R5 Turbo 2, anyone, for sixty grand? Wouldn't have thought of that. That is, that is <laughs> very unique. $60,000, so Other it's out, spectrum, but still, yes. kind of weird. Eric M. writes to us on email, talking about tires, after mm-hmm. buying a 2022 WRX back in April. This is his first performance car in 26 years of driving. Okay. Stock performance tires were fantastic, but he put on a set of Blizzaks. He says they're squirrely, especially at highway speeds. Doesn't seem to matter the temperature. They just don't give him the feeling of confidence compared to other cars he's had with winter tires. Mm. Should he have purchased performance snow tires or does he need to suck it up and get over the squishiness? Well, the squishiness is something to embrace. Mm. That's the compound. That's the design of the tire. You're saying on highway speeds, just wait till you get those on some ice and some packed snow. Well, he's also saying everything pretty much above freezing too. Mm-hmm. I mean, I you know if you're dealing with blizzacks or pretty much any winter any winter tire at sixty degrees on the highway, those don't feel like your summer performance. Tire. No. They don't even feel like your all seasons because they've gotten kind of gooey in yeah, that situation. They're, they're not recommended for those temperatures. But your fifteen degree morning when it's snowy, you will be the happiest man on the planet. Exactly, tool for the job. So you've got to either. <laughs> Put them on when the weather hits or wait for the weather, but otherwise you're feeling that huge difference. That's what we talk about all the time when you put winter tires on. We you know watch for the tr- triple peak on there. All weather mm-hmm. tires and winter tires like the Blizzax have these. It's a completely different driving experience, but you have them for those days for safety and for mm-hmm. car control, and it is dramatic. You'll be towing out the UPS truck when it snows. You will anyway, be. Michael Garrett on Facebook says, I'm guessing you're in England. I've recently seen an early Cayenne for 2,300 pounds. Good idea? Hmm. Um, okay, first off, the UK cars drop really fast when they're used. It has to do with the registration. I don't understand it all, but I know that they drop really fast. So used cars get crazy cheap. Early Cayenne is what concerns me here. Hmm. The 03s to 06s run away. They were wildly unreliable, so so much so that Porsche did not sell them in 2007. They were fixing stuff, and the point two of the first gen was 08 to 2010. We have a 2010 that's been great. Do not get an 03 to 06. They are crazy cheap for a reason. Alex HC09 on Instagram says, is there a true definition of dream car? We've debated sports car. What What is a sports car? And we decided on the car that everybody says you shouldn't have. 
that thing's going to kill definition. you. Yeah. What do you you bought that? Yeah, what do you think? Done. Ding ding ding. But dream car. There are cars that he aspires to own, but struggles to answer this question when asked, "What is his all-time dream car?" It's at different price points, and it's of course different for everybody. But you have to allow yourself that if you have a car that you can afford and it's in your life, and you never see it going away, that could be your dream car. Mm. It doesn't have mm. to be some crazy Ferrari. McLe- By the way, I don't really want a Ferrari four fifty eight. I really don't. Mm. We drove an 88, I think, uh, at uh, yeah, Speed Vegas. Vegas. I believe so. And the traction control just neutered the entire experience. Mm. I've driven far better mid-engine cars that I would much prefer to be in. Just felt too filtered to me. Mm. Interesting. I don't want that car. There's others. The Lamborghini, by comparison, felt quite raw, very different. It's not for all the time. And it was a rare rear-wheel drive version of the Huracan, yeah. Quite a bit different. I need some more time with it to really yeah. decide. But then there's... What about a Lotus Evora GT? Hundred grand. Mm-hmm. It's expensive, but maybe attainable in your life at some point. And whoa, that's kind of a never going to be built again kind of car. I know the Amir is coming, and based on sure, some elements yeah, yeah. about it, but you know what I mean. Yeah, what if it's yeah. a GR Corolla? What if it is some affordable, aspirational? It's fifty, sixty grand. You got one, mm-hmm. and you don't ever see yourself parting with it. Why does it have to be a Koenigsegg? That's good. Have you tried living with a Koenigsegg or a Chiron, Bugatti Chiron? The, the amount of outgo, even if you have the money to afford it, mm-hmm. still probably kind of stressful. Like, oh my gosh, this, this thing needs feeding again, new tires and service. What? Yeah. Wasting money on this thing? Well, pe- there are people in the world that have that to blow. So it doesn't have to be, though. I, I think there can be the money, no object answer, and there can be the I might own one one day answer. And they can both be dream cars, they can both be equivalent. Yeah. yeah. Geese1RBM on Instagram says, how important is a limited slip differential for a daily driver? He's thinking about getting a new daily next spring. It'll be used year-round, including winners. He already has a sports car for canyon tracking, etc. So this one would be strictly for commuting and daily use. He's curious if he has to move up to a more sporty trim of whatever he's looking at to get the limited slip diff or will an open diff be fine? Um, Actually, this is going to sound weird. I think the only reason you need a limited slip differential is is if your daily use is going to include weird traction environments like snow. This is going to amaze you. No one is out there saying that the Lotus Elise does not handle well. Most people don't know that most Lotus Elises do not have a limited slip differential. Most of them are open diffs. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So it isn't even a requirement. It, it, we, we've gotten into this place. I know it, we're shocked. The internet has convinced all enthusiasts that the limited slip differential is a requirement. It's not a requirement for a good handling car. It's helpful but it's not a requirement. It's vital if you want to drift the car. But the crazy thing is it's also really helpful if you'd like to move in snow. So if you're dealing with snow, you might need it. If you aren't going to be dealing with snow, I think you could probably be fine in most cars with an open diff. Anthony Zerg on Facebook asks if he's the only one who double shuffles every downshift, every single one, even Mm. driving gently. It's something he learned when driving, and now it's second nature, and he does it without realizing. Is there any benefit to this in modern gearboxes, or is he a goose? You're talking about double clutching, Mm -hmm. and I have to double clutch in the 928 because the synchros are gone, Mm -hmm. and (laughs) I can't get it into gear otherwise or out of gear, and it does preserve the transmission a little bit. But modern synchros, even those are still mostly modern from mm-hmm. 40 years ago, modern synchros are designed specifically to help align the gears. That's yeah. what synchros do. So you don't need to do that. Maybe you learn for a specific reason. You were saying you learned 
that it realigns the synchro mesh when you were learning to drive. However, modern gearboxes, you really don't need to do that. Now, on our GR86, I feel it when it's cold. It doesn't really like it. It needs mm-hmm. some warmth in mm-hmm. there. It needs to be turned and some warmth going through it. But otherwise, it's I think it's force of habit these days. And unless mm-hmm. your transmission is about to fall out of the car like mine is, you don't really need to do it anymore. Different conversation. The 928 is in a very special category. Chad, speaking of Porsches, who just completed the Porsche driving experience in Atlanta. He says our instructors say hi, which is good. He's thinking of adding a Panamera to his garage. Which generation, engine, flavor, et cetera, should he avoid or target? I'm going to say, Chad, what's the one that is enough for you? I think you're probably going to be looking at something like a GTS if you can get one. Do you need four or not? Do you need all four wheels driving or not? If you can go get away with rear-wheel drive, you're going to enjoy the feel of that more. The Panamera 4s and those kind of things, I mean, yes, that that's helpful. I also think the only one you should avoid is the early turbos. Those early turbos okay. Okay. can have catastrophic engine issues. There's known issues. You could look them up. If you stay away from the early turbo engines, I think you would enjoy just about whatever you got. Now you got to decide two or four wheel drive. Jeff Weinkoop on Instagram says that we remark there's a lot of joy to be had in driving a slow car fast, but then the car debate often recommends the larger engine offerings if it's within the debate writer's budget. Yes, for sure. The handful of cars he's owned all reach 60 miles an hour in around six seconds. He's felt he's never needed more. And as intoxicating as quick acceleration G-forces are, is he alone in thinking the faster car would be less fun on the commute because it can't be wrung out without getting a fast a speeding ticket? Mm. Certainly, but you're going to use those engines like people are discovering electric cars to be. You're going to use it in short bursts. On-ramps are a great example. Mm-hmm. But power is no bad thing to, to have to avoid an accident or get out of the way or out-accelerate a truck on the highway. Yeah. It's a lot of fun, but in short bursts, short of using it on track, it is quite a useful thing to have. Mm. Having a lot of power, of course, do I finish the quote? Should I get around the truck? It gives me the ability to pass more safely. Mm -hmm. You're on a two-lane highway. You want to get around the truck. If you have to have a really, really long space to finally get around a truck, you might never get the space. You might be stuck behind a truck. Rocks hitting your windshield, or if you've got some power, you can get safely around instantly. Boom, mm-hmm. you're around the truck or the slow-moving vehicle, and you're doing so safely within reason, and you're just accelerating enough to short burst. Yeah. So that's yeah. what the power is so useful for. And sure, it might get worse gas mileage, but you have to weigh that against your budget, and it is fun, I do admit. But that's what electric cars are doing. I use it for short bursts all the time, mm-hmm. and all the electric cars were... We're driving? It's a good point. You know, you're making me realize, uh, maybe for the first time, that that slow car fast mentality, now in some cases, if your commute is not a stop and go commute, if your commute is not a dart through traffic commute, then yes, the small lightweight car can work for you. But if you're fighting for that tiny gap in traffic, that's where the power is helpful. Yeah. In a way that if I want to go have a fun drive, I I don't need a huge amount of power because I can get up to speed. I can hang on to speed. And so the power is less important. But the two-lane highway scenario or the dart into traffic through a tiny hole in, in, oh, there a gap opened up. That's when the power does help in the daily commute. We really appreciate all your questions. If you've got a topic Tuesday or a car debate or a car conclusion, everydaydrivertv at gmail.com. We have so much to share with you guys. We're very happy to be back and have completed. It was a year ago at this time. Crazy. We set out for the very first road trip. Two are on YouTube. The next two are coming. We're really excited to share them with you. In the meantime, we hope you have good holidays, and we're always looking forward to next time. Cheers, everyone. 